Hey, everybody, it's Carrie Champion, and this is The Brown Print, a podcast that offers solutions and guidance for the marginalized and those who feel left out. These discussions will act as a guide to mentor those in need of direction and also to inspire those who feel hopeless. We will move the needle forward and speak out on the issues by way of dialogue and telling stories of those who need to be heard. I watched this movie, uh, Kingsman, with Colin Firth. And I didn't know anything about the movie. I just wanted to watch it because Colin Firth is hot. And I was like, sure, I'm into this. And so our young heroes are like running down this long like hallway like full of like prison cells, right? And he's running past one of them, and this chick from Sweden. And she's like, please help me, help me. And he's like, okay, well, if I help you, are you going to kiss me? Which, kill yourself. Don't be that guy. That's disgusting. That's so gross. Just save a life, you animal. Um, so I thought she was kind of badass in the movie, so I figured she was going to shut him down, right? And she did not, okay? Instead, she goes, if you save me, I'll let you do anal. What? What? So I'm so excited about our next guest. Phoebe Robinson is a multi-talented stand-up comedian. She's a writer. She's an actress. She's also known, probably best known, as the co-creator and co-star of the hit podcast, Two Dope Queens, which was later turned into an HBO special. You probably saw it. She's also a New York Times best-selling author. And most recently, she has her own production company. She created and founded Tiny Reparations. It's under ABC Studios, and it basically focuses on creating content powered by people of color. Phoebe is so talented, and she has a very creative young mind. So I wanted to talk to her on The Brown Print to discuss how we can educate younger generations on supporting Black voices because hers is so vital and so important to the community. Phoebe is a great example of a successful young Black voice that's pushing for change. Let's sit back and relax and listen to Phoebe Robinson on The Brown Print. I want to go back to, before we get into your HBO special and how you came to the world, you were a podcaster or a writer first. Talk me through this whole process. Yeah, so I started out doing stand-up 12 years ago, I took a class with a friend of mine who didn't want to take a stand-up class by herself. And I would, truly was had no interest in doing comedy at all. Uh, but she was like, you hate your life, so something needs to change. And I was like, ooh, that was a read. And so I took the class at Caroline's and I fell in love right away. Um, so yeah, I just sort of, I had a day job and then I would do, you know, stand-up shows and laundromats, biker bars, Irish pubs, like, take the $1 bus to Boston and do shows. And then probably about four, three or four years into doing um, stand-up, that's when I really sort of was like, okay, I really want to write as well. So I started a blog and really that sort of changed my life. Just kind of doing all that stuff at once really kind of took me to that next level. All right. So mainstream, I would say, at least my attention, I hate to tell you, Two Dope Queens mm -hmm. is how I found you and a lot of people. But, but, but you obviously have been creative since you were born. This is how I feel. I feel <laughs> creatives are always that way, but they just don't know it. It takes something mm -hmm. to a moment. It takes, or maybe it's a, a bunch of moments where you're like, oh my God, uh, that's who I am. I am this person. Um, talk me through your childhood. Did you um, get, you know, shoved in the washer and then you became creative or was it <laughs> one of these things where you already knew? Did you any trauma happen so that you could be amazing or no? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's so I'm from I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Cleveland. And I was always I feel like I would describe myself as a kid like I, I have, you know, I make I would be funny and interactive and stuff. But I was really in my head a lot. I was a big daydreamer. I used to always write these little stories around my parents house. And my dad would be like she was always had her head down, just like writing something or watching like a movie and like being inspired that way. Um, but I think I didn't really have the sort of self-esteem to pursue that really because I was so nervous about like am I really talented am I going to measure up so I didn't really want to pursue writing and and comedy because I didn't think I would be good enough um and so I really do think like the moment that that really changed for me was when I took that stand-up class and 
I just had so much fun being on stage and my brain sort of turned off from all the negging that I was doing. Like I, I always say that like, I would never let anyone talk to my friends the way that I talk to myself sometimes. <laughs> and I, you know, I noticed when I was doing standup, like I wasn't like, you know, crapping on myself. I was just really in the moment and enjoying interacting with people and not being self-conscious and not dealing with my low self-esteem issues and all that stuff and just really enjoying connecting. And I was like, oh, I want more of that. And I also felt like, you know, yes, comedy is not the most important thing in the world, but like so many people really do have tough lives and being able to take their minds off of it. I was like, oh, that is the biggest gift. I'm so lucky that I'm able to do that. So I think that was sort of the big shift for me to sort of realize, like, go for this dream that you've always had. You you mentioned something that I think all of us, uh, women especially, I think, deal with in our in in our minds in, in the social media age. Never talk to yourself or your friends, rather, the way you talk mm-hmm. to yourself. Uh, and, and and I always see these special memes that remind me: be careful what you say to yourself because that's who you talk to the most. And mm-hmm. I, I wonder where that comes from. Where, if you don't mind me asking, where did that come from? Where you felt like you would look in the mirror, stand next to someone, uh, criticize yourself, feel as if you weren't good enough or worthy enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm a child of the 90s. So it was like Halle Berry, Tyra Banks, Iman, Nia Long. And I looked like none of them. I was a string bean. I had no boobs. I had no butt. I had no curves. And I really just sort of felt like, well, I'm just... Like, I think now it's like cool to be kind of a blurred and be kind of dorky and all that stuff. But like when you think about black nerds, you think about Steve Urkel. And that was like nobody wanted to be that. I didn't want to be that. You know what I mean? So I sort of just felt like, oh, I don't fit in. I'm not a cool black person. Like, what's wrong with me? Why am I like, why don't I dress like in an awesome way? Why am I not like Moesha? Like just all these things where I just, you know, I felt like I was failing in some way as a black person, like not living up to this expectation of like what blackness should be. And then, you know, coupled with sort of like, I think, I don't want to speak for all women, but I think it's really hard in your formative years to sort of trust your voice because society tells you that Mm -hmm. women who own their voices are annoying, that you're bitches, that you're unattractive, that you're going to be alone, that no one's going to like you. So you receive all this messaging that showing off any part of yourself or allowing yourself to shine is bad. Like my parents weren't like that. My parents are very supportive, but everywhere else you look, you go like, Oh, me speaking out or me having an opinion is not advantageous for me. And so that also made me feel like I didn't know if I should even have a voice, you know what I mean? Like I was just so lost in the sauce and like, didn't know who I should be. And so, yeah, it was sort of really kind of was stand up and me just being on stage with a microphone where I was like, well, people are looking at me. I better have something to say. And the same with starting out blogging and writing, just being like, well, if I'm going to publish these like thousand words, like three times a week, I better have something to write. And it really made me go, it's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to speak out about stuff. Not everyone's going to like it. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it, because if I were a straight white man, I have no problem speaking out and think that I'm entitled to always speak out. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it really came from like doing these creative endeavors and just sort of being okay with. Doing it for me and getting the pleasure out of that, as opposed to making sure everyone likes me. Think about the 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 idea of feeling like I'm insecure. I can't really say anything, but let me use this platform to say what I want to say and let me put it out before the world and see what they think about it. And even if they don't like it, I'm still going to do it. And I'm uncomfortable, but I'm getting comfortable. Like Mm -hmm. all of that is such a, a tug of war, a back and forth and extremely bold. Like if you think about what you just said, everything that you are afraid of, you put out in front of everyone. As an artist, you're saying, here's my art. Take a look at it. Tell me what you think. Well, I don't care what you think, but I do care what you think. But I'm putting it out here because it makes me feel better. Like Mm -hmm. it is such a balance. And you're right about what society says to women about finding our voice. I I think it took me a very long time to find my voice. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I was on TV reporting facts and giving you stats, finding my voice, who I am and being confident in expressing it is a whole nother level of confidence and also insecurity and vulnerability. 
Mm-hmm. Here you are as a comedian, a Black female comedian. Let's just put all of this together. Uh, how were you received initially, even though you felt like, I'm good at this early on, this feels good for me. How were you received by others? Oh, I mean, I gotta tell you, I was really started, I was really nervous when I started doing stand-up because it is so male-dominated. And as much as I love stand-up, there are so many elements that are sexist and there's so many just kind of throwaway comments that you're just like, ow, that's like, you shouldn't say that. Like, that's not cool. Like, I know everyone tries to act like, well, stand-up is sort of like free reign. You can say whatever you want. And it's like, well, some things are hurtful. You know what I mean? And so I think for me, how it was received It was, I definitely had a push and pull with stand-up because I think, not that there's hazing, but I think stand-up comics want to test you and see how tough you are. And they might want to needle a little bit. And that sort of, like, that would happen a lot at open mics. So basically open mics are like where you would go test out new material and, you know, it's just in front of other comics. And if you got laughs from comics, you can sort of go, okay, maybe this has some legs and I'll just keep working on it. And it just was like, there was just so much competitiveness and so much mm-hmm. sort of like trash talking or like negging other people potentially or like things where it's like, oh, this comic's going up next. Like no one laughs. So like he feels bad about it. just like all this stuff where I was like, oh, that. I'm not in stand up for this. Like what you guys are doing is not why I'm doing this. Like I'm not trying to like like exercise sort of like payback for how I was treated in in high school. Like I'm doing stand up because it makes me feel good about myself and it makes me feel positive and makes me like myself more. So I think in the beginning, I sort of felt kind of lost in like, who are my people? You know what I mean? And so then I had to go out and find them. So you have like the Michelle Buteau's and the Alana Glazers and, you know, those people where they're positive and they're not coming from a place of negativity. And so I think the biggest thing that was often said to me in the beginning when I sort of removed myself from those kind of like toxic sort of environments were, um, you just think you're better than everyone else. Oh. Which, yes, Yes. Which I was also like, no, I don't think I'm better than everyone else. I'm like, this is actually mentally draining and debilitating to be around such sort of like angsty, angry men mad about that they haven't gotten what they felt they're owed. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I just don't want to participate in this. And this isn't me thinking I'm better than anyone else. This is me like hustling. Like I have to have the day job. I have to work these three jobs in order to pay my rent. Like I'm really not thinking about you, but not like in a rude way. I'm just like, (laughs) I don't, my parents can't support me in New York. Like I am completely by myself. And so I've been very business minded from the beginning because, you know, I've been to housing court. I know what it feels like when you're about to get your lights cut off. Like it scared me so much that I focused so much on the work. And I think a lot of times from the guys in particular, it was like, oh, you don't want to hang out with us because you think you're better. You think you all that blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, I'm doing this because I know I'm a black woman and I have to work, you know, 10 times harder. And they just couldn't understand that. I don't think. Oh my gosh. I can, your whole story. It, I don't, it's almost like, I don't care what industry you're in. Anybody listening to this as a person of color, as a black woman understands that our way of going about any type of success looks different than their way. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is why this is called the brown print. It's not traditional. The way we, we, we move and hustle and maneuver is so different. Um, And, and it's, and it's supposed to be because it makes Mm -hmm. our experiences better. So when you talk about being, a black woman who is a comic did you ever and i'm sure you have so this is a silly question talk to me about dealing with racism and sexism well the biggest thing so i i think stand-up has gotten a little bit better but i remember when i first started out you know um if you look at comedy clubs, usually like one or two weekends out of the entire year would be for a female comedian or there'd mm. be like one woman of color with headline or even when I would do like these smaller shows in the city throughout the week. Um, you know, I've had people say, oh, we can't have back to back black comics on the show because then the audience is going to think this is a weird like black themed show. And I was like what the hell are you talking about? It's not weird for black people to be here. Oh God. So it's like, you're like two black people. We we've gathered. Is that, is it a meeting? (laughs) 
(laughs) Is it a meeting? We've all got together. Okay. You know, oh my God, that's so frustrating. How are you able to use like that type of what I think would be an insult uh, or I mean, blatant ist behavior, whatever ist you want to call it, sexist, racist. Mm -hmm. How do you take all of that and put it in your work? Yeah, I I would just go like, this is so ignorant that I can't even justify this or allow this to affect what I'm doing. But I will say mentally, it is sort of frustrating where you're going like so many people have worked so hard. You look at like Wanda Sykes, you look at Chris Rock, you look at Margaret Cho, you look at all these people and it's still the same for us people of color coming up. And that was a thing where I was like, how much progress has been made? Or are, you know, you're only nice to comics of color if they have, quote unquote, made it or are famous. And so that was a thing that sort of bummed me out, but I think really sort of inspired me to go down the path of like two dope queens and what Jessica and I want to do with um, the podcast and eventually the HBO show is we felt like there are so few shows in the city that would book You know, comics of color, if you look at the landscape of late night, it was very rare to see comics of color get to do like late night sets on Letterman or any of those shows. And we were just sort of like, this is not making sense. This is not tracking at all. We know so many talented people who are not given a chance just because they're not white. And that really, I think, forced me to sort of be like, I could be annoyed by this or I could try and help change it. And so that made me want to be more um, active about it. Um, but yeah, it is, it's wild. The things that you hear or the justifications that people have or the way they feel they they can underpay women because, oh, well, women don't sell out more than men. So why should they make, it's just all these things where you just want to shake people. And after I got done feeling like I want to shake somebody, I'm like, screw it. Let's do two dope Queens. Let's just put on like our favorite comics and we're going to show everybody. Okay, first and foremost, you led me to my next question. I was like, how did two dope queens come about? But that's exactly why you wanted to Mm -hmm. you wanted to see what you were missing. You wanted Mm -hmm. to feel it. You wanted to experience. I experience it. And I salute you for that, because so many times we sit, especially, you know, black folks will complain, man, they're not giving us a chance. They're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to change it. This is the change that I want to see. So I'll make it happen. So when you come up with this concept, are you sitting? Are you guys like, girl, let me tell you what we're about to do. How did it all come <laughs> together and ultimately become this HBO special? Yeah. So Jessica and I met summer of 2014 um, and I was beyond broke as a comic and she was on The Daily Show. What is beyond broke? What does that look like? Oh, gosh, I had like a massive mold problem in my apartment, mice, like crappy neighborhood, sort of just eating dollar pizza. Like I was really I pay my dues. I feel like I pay my dues. And so I I can't remember how I saw online, but there was some sort of ad for like, oh, we're looking for um, extras to be background and the piece that she was doing about black women's hair in the military and it was unpaid. And I was like, all right, that kind of sucks. But at least I could say I've technically have been on the daily show and I can use that as a, as a credit at comedy clubs, which like try to get the in and perform at certain places. Um, so then, yeah, I went and we met and we just really hit it off. And, you know, I started out, I did improv in college and she did improv too. And we really just, like we liked the same things and we were just really riffing and getting along well together. And then I had this like low budget podcast that I would produce out of my crappy moldy apartment uh. and <laughs> <laughs> and she did it and we hit it off even more. And she said she always wanted to do stand up. And I was like, well, why don't we just co-host a show together and have it be like variety show style and it'll just be really fun And we did, and we just had the best time, and our chemistry just really popped on stage. And we both felt like, okay, this is like, you know, after you have like a good first date, you're like, ooh, this is a sexy, fun time. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say yes to dress again. Yeah. Um, And so (laughs) we Mm. just sort of started doing the show. And, you know, we started out UCB East. We weren't even making money because they didn't pay performers there. So we really were just doing it because we just loved it and had like a lot of fun. And somewhere along the way, we just would get like these 
Facebook messages and people being like, you know, I've never been to a stand up comedy show before because I've only ever seen white guys in a lineup. And so I felt like as a person of color mm-hmm. that stand up comedy clubs aren't a safe space for me. Or we would hear that people are going through like health issues and being like, you know, my insert family member has been dealing with cancer. And so like going to Tude Up Queens or listening to a podcast like really helped us feel better about ourselves and our lives. And that's when we really felt like, oh, this is as much as this means something to us, it's also meaning something to other people as well, which I think we never intended on. And I think we really sort of saw that how so many people wanted to just see like women of color. They wanted to see Asian comics. They want to see gay comics. They wanted to see Latinx comics on the stage doing their own thing, not being interrupted. And that's when we sort of realized the power of the show and like how special it was for all of us. You know, I think that, I, and I, I I would be remiss if I didn't say, um, I have a show on Vice with Jamel Hill and it's called Stick mm-hmm. to Sports. And mm-hmm. a lot of what we did when we talked, when we were pitching it, we reminded people of the success you all had and how special it was to see that and and how America wants it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it is so important to to mirror the diversity that we have in this country. But more than ever right now, what's happening in this country is is painful, especially for mm-hmm. black people. Um, and it's always it's been this way forever. And I think it is so essential for us as black women, black voices, black people to lean into this moment and and be unapologetic about our rich history and our culture. Uh, and and be who we want to be and remind mm-hmm. people that it's okay and it's a beautiful thing to be two dope black queens, two dope queens. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So when you when you see yourself and you see the representation that you and Jessica have in terms of what you guys are giving to the world, um, and then you look at what's happening right now in society, how do you reconcile the two? I mean, it's difficult to reconcile it, you know, because it feels like while representation's increasing, you know, with Two Dope Queens and Insecure and Black Lady Sketch Show and really feeling like you, the advances are being made. And you look at like Ava DuVernay and like you look at the documentary, The 13th, and just sort of that powerful message and that sort of gut wrenching story being put out there and just seeing that. Because of technology, because of social media, because everyone has cameras, we're seeing how even more prevalent the abuse and the violence that black people are suffering every single day. It's it's really hard to feel the sense of progress I think I felt when, you know, Barack Obama was elected. I think for me, mm-hmm. what I find to be the most difficult is that, you know, day to day we're expected to just show up and go to work as if this isn't top of mind for us. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And just, and keep working and keep being productive and keep doing all the things that like our employers respect of us. And it's sort of like, we also need to take care of ourselves mentally. Like we also are, we're feeling drained. Like our souls are feeling so heavy because this stuff is happening in our streets. And so I think for me, trying to reconcile us, like, I just don't know if that we can. I think it's making me want to be more active. I'm definitely being more vocal than I have been ever before. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to show up in a way where it's not just, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I just want to post on social media. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. great. But then we mm-hmm. also need to like, make sure we're voting in local elections and going to protest if it's safe and healthy for you to do so. And just sort of the way that I look at everything that I do business wise, and I was doing this before, but especially now I'm like, I want to make sure that Things can be funny and entertaining, yes, but I wanted to also have a message too, right? Yeah, I'm and about like, to give you some medicine with this candy, right? Yes. <laughs> You're going to yeah. keep to take it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like I think, you know, brands and companies saying they want to do more to sort of employ you know, people of color, like, that's great. But I'm like, if you're not having them in positions of power and the executive positions, it's really hard for me to see how long lasting the change is going to be. So I'm trying to be optimistic, but uh, it is just so hard some days. It really, really is. I think that what I would ask uh, with you and all of your success that you have now um in those who are up and coming comedians and those who are even, you know, I saw you talk to Tracy Ellis Ross, those who have quote unquote mm-hmm. made it. Um, 
Well, what has been some of the best advice that you have received being a black woman in this in this space? Oh, you know, this this is going to sound very random and strange, but this uh, do you know, this comedian, John Hodgman, um, Mm -hmm. he was on The Daily Show, like the nicest like white guy you'll ever meet, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, And we just happened to be on a show and I was like the newest comic on the show and everyone's like really established and they're all hanging out afterwards. And, you know, I was sort of like sitting in in the corner just being like these comics are famous. Like, I don't want to be the weirdo here. I'm just going to make as little movement as possible so no one knows me and you know (laughs) and john came over and he was like oh my god that was such a funny set and i was like oh thank you and he was like you know so what do you want to do with your career and i was like like i just had never had a comic of his level or higher ever actually care Mm -hmm. (laughs) or want to ask that question Mm -hmm. and i was like oh gosh, I mean, I don't know, maybe this, maybe that, but I don't know if that like fits in what people traditionally think of as a stand-up comedian. And he was like, forget what anyone says is is traditional for a stand-up comedian. He's like, that sounds amazing. And you can only be the best version of you. So why don't you just do that and see what happens? Hmm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Because normally in stand-up, it's like, you got to be like the next Jerry Seinfeld or like the next Chris Rock or George Carlin. And it's like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I would be like a <laughs> terrible version of Chris Rock. I just can't uh-huh. do that. Uh-huh. Um, and so him just saying, like, find out whatever you love and what your passions are within comedy and then build your career around that, I think has been the the key piece of advice that I've clearly taken to heart in the biggest way. Yeah. Authenticity wins all the mm-hmm. time. And when, for him to tell you be the best version of you, because we always think we have to, you know, for me, it was like, I'm going to be Oprah when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, and obviously, I'm not going to be Oprah. Uh, it's interesting because my uh, producers, uh, we were discussing how would we describe your role, how you live in this space. How would you, if you had a business card, uh, mm. what would it say? Ooh, that's such a great question. I love that question. I've never gotten that before. <laughs> um... Uh, my business card would say uh, Phoebe Robinson, doer of all things um, and an unabashed geek. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to own it. <laughs> and I'm cute. You forgot that part. Yeah. And I'm yeah. real cute. <laughs> the asterisk. <Yeah. laughs> Side note. Uh, doer of all things. So that brings me to this. You do live in a lot of different spaces. You have several podcasts. You've written a book. You have your own production company called Tiny Reparations. Tell me about like... It, Again, there is no blue, there's no blueprint. It's a brown print. Where do you live? Where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a media mogul? Because you're doing it very differently. I, but every day, nowadays, back in our parents grew up, you can have like one job. Everybody has twin yeah. jobs. Yeah. I got a TV show, I got podcasts, I got a production company, I got da, 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 da. What space do you see yourself living in? Are you a, you know, a one man band when it comes to all things funny? Like, how how do you see yourself living, you know, in the world of entertainment? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely am on the path of like, I want to have an empire like that's just I think has been a dream of mine. Um, And I really think. I know it feels like I'm work all the time, which is, you know, probably because back in the day when I was scraping by, I had to work all the time. And like you just you know how it is in entertainment and Hollywood, like you just never know what's going to be the thing that pops. So it's like if anything sort of intrigues you, you're trying to like figure out, okay, well, how can I make this a thing that could maybe fit within my career. And yeah, I mean, I think what's really cool about what I've been doing is that I feel like every day I'm always sort of challenged and um, entertained because no day looks the same. You know what I mean? And I feel like I get to work with such amazing people. I get to hang out really cool people like you. I get to be creative. (laughs) I get to like, The Hollywood that I see and that Mm. I surround myself with Mm -hmm. is incredibly inclusive and diverse. Like the head of my uh, development over at my production company is Puerto Rican. 
Uh, my and my two publicists, one's Indian, one is black. You know, my literary imprint that I just started, the uh, editor is black. One of my assistants is Vietnamese. So I feel like I've always just wanted to be like, I don't want to say a melting pot, but I just want to be like, everyone is welcome. If you feel you have a talent and you're really passionate about something and you want to go on this ride with me, let's all do this together. So I really try to make it feel like a family. And even though we are doing 10 different things at once, I feel like everything is has the same mission statement, which is heart meets hope, um, be really funny as hell, have a message and uplift others. And if mm. that is possible, then that is a part of the game plan. Amen. I love that. I, I, it's possible. And it's a part yeah. of the game plan. <laughs> I'll, I'll take us back to, I just want to circle back. So two dope queens. Uh, when... Mm-hmm. When you started having all the success with that show, uh, you and Jessica with that special, mm-hmm. I think I saw the one with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. That was a yeah, moment. Yeah, so fun. That was fun. When I tell you I was excited just as much as you all were excited, like, because that's a, she's a, a cultural icon, is she not? Like, Sex yeah. in the City yeah. is is life for so many women, you mm-hmm. know, black, white, purple, or green. Were you on stage like, we're a big deal. well it was such a fun taping and when we came out we got like this standing ovation ovation from the audience so already made us feel like so loved and welcome and you know i love sex and city forever it's like what i watched through college and i was like this is what my life is gonna be like in new york and it definitely (laughs) has not been that (laughs) And so we were already feeling so excited about being in the HBO family. And then when she said that she would do the show and that she loved us, we were just so kind of like, oh, my God, this feels like I'm just like I remember when I was in my 20s in my apartment watching HBO. And now I'm here on HBO with SJP. Like it just felt so wild and I would have never predicted something like that when I was like 20, 21 or whatever. And it just was like, oh, wow. It's so funny the way that the universe sort of like things that you're obsessed with, it sort of comes back full circle in like a much bigger way, like way down the line. But that makes it even sweeter because it took so long to get there, you know? So were you like, we're the shit? I wasn't like, we're the shit, but I was I was just like, no one can tell me that this show is not amazing. OK, <laughs> <laughs> OK, so talk to me about your relationship with Jessica, uh, close friends, best friend. What would you how would you describe it? Obviously, business partners. Yeah, I mean, I think with us, it's just really sort of been like. You know, the industry for the longest time will tell you there could only be one black woman. Right. And then everyone else like you're just SOL. And so I think that's always been the heart of like whatever we've done is we want it to be like, hey, look, it can. That's not true. It's about uplifting each other. It's about working together. It's about collaborating. It's about being a team. And so I think with Jessica, it's been it's been really wonderful that to have that experience of like, oh, yeah, it's really cool to like work with other women and we can like be at the top, like celebrating and not just, you know, like this reality TV sort of version of what black female relationships are like. Why does every single industry, because again, I've interviewed women from all walks of life. Why does every single industry try to perpetuate that lie, that myth Mm -hmm. that there could only be one? Why do you feel that is the case in your industry? Well, I think so much of it is sort of like, oh, well, if we we got one black person, we we did our job. Next problem, move on. You know what I mean? So it's okay. like it'll be like, OK, so we have this one black person who has a TV show. Then we don't need to hire anyone else. And so I think people don't understand that, like, no, you're just making a token of someone rather than truly being inclusive means like your skin color is not going to prevent you from your success, right? Mm. It's not going to be like, oh, well, we already have... Like, I remember even with, like, my book. Like, when I first started shopping around my book in 2015, I think we sent it to, like, I don't know, 10, 12, maybe 15 imprints. And all of them, except one, rejected it because they were like, oh, nobody wants to read a book written by a Black girl. Like, this is too niche. Like, funny essays by a Black woman. Like, that doesn't have an audience. No one will read this. 
And so there's just this mindset that people think that our lives are not valuable, that what we have to say is of is of no importance to anyone else. Like no one will be into it. And it's just so categorically not true. But it's still that's still perpetuated because the people who are in power, the sort of gatekeepers, the tastemakers tend to be straight white men who are like 60, who have no idea what like the real world is like. Um, and it just keeps perpetuating that problem. So that's why when I see people like Issa Rae, I'm just so like, oh my gosh, she's doing so much work to make it so much easier for the next generation to get their work across. So you see someone like a Michaela Cole with I May Destroy You, which is ah. truly such an incredible show. Incredible. And I'm just like, to see a dark-skinned Black woman, mm-hmm. right, star in that show, yes. that would not have happened even 10 years ago. It just no, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah. And I just want to go back to what is categorically not true. When they're telling you no one wants to hear about your book, and maybe except for one, let me just tell you how right here we have New York Times bestselling writer here. Just and <laughs> hell just so yeah, you know, just so you know, <laughs> it is categorically not true. And it is so mm-hmm. inspiring to hear this story because everyone is told no until that someone gives them a yes. And then when you get that yes and then you create it, everyone's like, oh, that's interesting. Let's start doing that. So you see mm-hmm. you do two dope queens. There would be no Carrie and Jamel show. Then There would be no. Do you know what I mean? There are just ways mm-hmm. that you're opening the doors for other because you're like, hey, it does work for all the because in the world that we live in, you know, the white folks mainstream can do fail, 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 mm-hmm. be mediocre at everything and get a chance after chance after chance. And then when we get this one chance, we yeah. perform or overperform. And then it's like, oh, that's cool. But it's like, no, it's actually excellent. <laughs> yeah. I'm excellent. You know what I'm saying? Yes, do you feel do you absolutely. feel that way? I I wonder if you could tell people who are listening, because you 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 talked about just being a black woman in this industry and also working with people of color. How can we support people in the arts, people of color in the arts? What does that look like? Because if you have a show, do we go out and support it and watch it? When you get a book, do we mm-hmm. go buy it? What does that look like to make mm-hmm. sure that we're seeing more, more Phoebe's, more Jessica's, more, more people of color creating wonderful content? Yeah, I mean, I will say with Two Dope Queens, when we were starting out and doing these indie rooms in Brooklyn, Corey Murray over at Essence was the first place that ever wrote us up and said, like, this is a great show. People should check it out. Like, go to Brooklyn, blah, blah, blah. So to have that support from Essence, which I, you know, was reading ever since I was a little kid, I think is really key is sort of to have us like each sort of like help lift the other person up. Um, so, yeah, if it's like stand up comedy, and you want to support, you know, co- uh, comics of color, like follow them on Instagram and find out what shows they are performing at and show up there. Um, listen to their their podcasts, um, you know, support their shows when they're on TV, because, you know, like you said, like it's really hard for us to get like a fair shake or to get like a real actual chance. So like when those shows come out, like a I may destroy you or an insecure show up from the beginning and really lend that support. So people can't find any excuse to take away the, the those shows or get rid of like the advertising dollars. Like you don't want there to be any reason for mm-hmm. the shows or those songs or those podcasts or those performers to not make it. We really do have to sort of like, show up the way that we did for like Black Panther, like that, like over, like when people saw that, they were like, oh, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess Black movies do work overseas. And you're like, what? Yes, of course they do. What are you talking about? Wake up, America. (laughs) Over everywhere. Wake up, everyone. Um, In this in this industry, in this world that we live in today, it is so divisive. I think it has a lot to do with who's running, who's in the office. But the world is so divisive and we can't have anything that's our own and appreciate it for our for just for us, you know, and then and, and making it a safe space so we can come and say, these are the things that we like to see. These are the things that I love. It becomes about, oh, you're taking the jobs away or it becomes about what we are taking away oh, and not adding. You know, we're actually adding and contributing to society by making sure that we have this diversity. Do you ever get discouraged um, in the 
where the state of America is right now, when you're trying to be a creative, when you're trying to be a black creative, a black woman creative or a woman in general, do you get discouraged and think, what the hell? Yeah, absolutely. Like I've definitely like if we had talked last week when I was in my bed crying and <laughs> being oh. like, I'm not going to make it like, I, you know, I was shopping around this show and this one network was like, oh, they passed on it because they're like, oh, we have a bunch of shows like yours already. And I'm like. Y- y- you don't have any black people in your network. <laughs> so how do you have a bunch of me right now? <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so hearing stuff like that, you know, at first, I think, you know, one of the things that my boyfriend's always trying to get me to work on, and he's like, you internalize negative statements that really aren't about you. So when mm. that when that person said that, like, oh, we have so many, we have a, a, like a bunch of shows like yours, I immediately thought like, oh, what I did wasn't good enough. And that's mm. why they're saying no. As opposed to like, no, this person's ignorant for just like not wanting to have Black people in their network. Like, that's the issues. The issue's not that I didn't work hard, that I didn't write a good script, that I didn't show up and do the whole razzle-dazzle for the pitch. It was just that, like, certain executives, certain networks are just, they're going to say they want to do better and do differently, but they don't really want to do it. No, I, I call it yeah. corporate social justice. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do to vote this year? What is your what is your contribution in terms of I'm not asking who you're voting for, but I kind of could guess. But what is your what is your your (laughs) contribution uh, as as a person with a platform? um, Mm -hmm. We talked about how divisive this country is. How do you how do you feel you'll be able to spread the message? Or do you feel obligated at all to get any messaging out in terms of voting? Yeah, I mean, I think if you have a platform, especially when the world is so much like it is right now, I think it you can't just be like, oh, well, I'm only going to just keep doing business as usual and not talk about the rest of the world. So, I mean, I'm definitely going to go out. I'm, I'm going to do early voting. Um, I've been making some donations to a particular campaign. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have um, this new podcast out called Black Frasier. And so I just did an interview today um, talking about like, you know, qualified immunity and, you know, defunding the police. And then I'm going to have another episode about voting. So I feel like it's one of those things where I feel like my superpower is connecting with people and having conversations and just being curious. So I'm hoping that with those episodes when they come out in the next few weeks, like it'll really sort of inspire people to maybe spark up more conversations within their own communities and friendships and families and sort of, because I don't want to push anyone to be like, you need to vote because people hate being told what to do. But I do want to say, hey, just remember John Lewis was beaten so we could have the opportunity to go. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like voting. So I always try to keep that in the back of my mind that people sacrifice so much. So I don't want to be glib about it or, or or be flipping about it. I love it. And let's get into some good trouble. Speaking of of John Lewis, right? Like it's worth it right now. Let this podcast get us into some good trouble. I, you mentioned black Frazier. I saw a clip on your Instagram about a friend who said Whitney Cummings. She was like, wait, do I, do I need to have watched Frasier? I have never watched Frasier. Do you find, and you said you had neither. Do you find that yeah. most people say that? So why is it, what, help me, Black Frasier. So my boyfriend's from the UK um, and he's a big Frasier fan. He's seen it, like the whole series twice, which I'm like, that's a lot of episodes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of love, but we will always joke that I love giving advice, whether it's solicited or unsolicited. And I was like, oh, that could be fun to do like an advice show and just sort of hang out with people. Cause I feel like I'm a Libra. So Libras tend to ask people a lot of information so we can like like overthink everything and weigh all the options that's all i do is ask people's opinion and then take like two weeks to make a decision about something (laughs) (laughs) but i was like oh this will be super fun and so especially with covid happening these social uprisings and i was just noticing that like i would be so down and feel like really sad or like you know like not be not be active and take care of myself or eat 
right or whatever. And so I really just want to do something that was not only going to like uplift other people, but also myself. Like I feel like everything positive that I do in my career is really also to help me sort of like lift myself up and build my own uh, confidence and have more happiness in my life. And so I feel like with this podcast so far, especially with the Whitney Cummings episode and us talking about money and specifically that like women are never really educated on money in a big Mm -hmm. way in this country. True. Like so many people are like, oh, my God, thank you so much for having this conversation because I felt so much shame or so much guilt around money and I didn't know what to do. And I was like that for all of my 20s. I would never talk about money. I always felt so horrible. And so I wanted this podcast to be a way where people are confronting sort of stressful things, but not feeling guilt and shame about it Mm -hmm. and just being like, this is stressful. This is making me anxious but I'm going to figure it out anyway, instead oh, of being it. defeated by it. Yeah. I love it. That is now I must, I literally must subscribe because you know why it's out. Yeah, now. it is. Right. Mm-hmm. It is. out. I, yep. I, the whole Two shame, weeks. As we air this podcast, I just bought my first home. Like, <gasps> Congratulations. Thank you. Like sign the papers today. And I literally wow. signed the papers and I'm thinking to myself, wow, like there's so much shame around it. I, and I thought, Am I going to buy shoes and units for the rest of my life or will I find a place to place them? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is such a big deal. Oh, my you, God. I'm so excited I'm for excited. you. I'm excited. And, you know, I, I, I grew like humble beginnings. I'm the first in my family mm-hmm. to do it. And, I, you know, I, I feel like there is so much shame associated with money and what you should do with mm-hmm. it when you start making it. So I love that idea. That is such a wonderful pot. You guys, yes, so much going on. <laughs> ah, where do we begin you okay is there anything else we got to tell the people about we got black fraser um they obviously know two dope queens um are you still doing that show on comedy central yes yeah, so we are we're waiting for our safety protocols yeah. in order to shoot the last four episodes of my talk show for comedy central okay so hopefully that'll be this year okay Fingers you, listen, OK, so and yeah. will it be will it be more of the same or what you're doing right now in terms yes. of making me laugh and informing me at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> so it's um, it's a it's a it's a, it's a the show is called Doing the Most with Phoebe Robinson. And because I'm a workaholic, I actually don't have that many skill sets or life experiences. Like I don't know how to drive. I can't ride a bike. I'm afraid of heights. I've always wanted a tattoo. I never got one. Um, basically I am just a workhorse. And so I, I'm, I'm, I, each episode I sit down with a guest and they teach me how to do something while I interview them. And it, it's really fun. Like we have people on like Tan France, uh, Whitney Cummings, Hassan Minhaj, and it's really, really, really fun and light. And again, supposed to uplift and make people feel good about themselves. I love it. Okay. I'm all about the advice. I have, I have, I always give out advice. It's called FOH and it, it's, um, it's my perspective on some nonsense that's going on in the world. And it's the advice I give. I could be career ending. So I, I wouldn't suggest <laughs> that people listen to it. Um, but you had received some advice earlier uh, from that comedian. On a day, and I didn't know him. He was very famous to you when you were trying to sit still, not move. And he told you, just be you. Don't try to be anything else. Don't be any of those, any other versions of anybody else. Just be you. Do it all. What advice would you give to someone who is looking at you and wanting to follow in your footsteps for the brown print? Yeah, I think my advice would be, oh, there's so much I want to say. Okay. I think my advice would be whatever you want to do, no matter what industry, to achieve your goal, it's going to be harder than you think it will be to achieve it but it will also be so much better and make you feel so much more amazing than you thought you would ever feel once you do achieve it. So it's a lot, it's sort of like going to the gym when you're like, okay, I'm going to get, you know, ready for the summer. And then you do two spin classes and you're like, fuck this, this (laughs) is hard. (laughs) I want the surgery. Cut to it. 
Literally. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember before um, COVID when my my building's gym was open and I just started, I always was like, oh, I, I want to start running. I would never do it because I would wimp out and be like, oh, well, I'm not like an athlete. Like, I don't think I can ever get into running. And it was really hard in the beginning. But then when I was able to sort of just like run for like a minute, run for two minutes, run for three minutes without like, <gasps> it made me go, oh, you can do every, anything. You just keep psyching yourself out. Mm-hmm. But you got this. So I feel like if you just know that the work is going to be so hard, but then once you achieve that thing, you're going to go, oh, that was cake. What else do you have? You know what I mean? It's, you're just going to be like, oh, I can take on more than I thought I could. And it feels so much sweeter once you do. So just get through the hard, sucky parts. (laughs) (laughs) Phoebe Robinson's advice to anyone who wants to be like her, just get through the hard, sucky parts and you can do it. You can do it. Obviously, it's much more in depth than that. But (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I adore you. Thank you so much for coming on The Brown Print. You are, I mean, truly, truly a pleasure. I think everyone from the Midwest or just solid people. I don't know what you guys eat there. I don't know what they feed you. But everybody, I lit- my assistant, she's from Ohio. She's nice. I mean, solid. Everybody. Yes, exactly. Okay, I'm following you now and I'm harassing you. It's such a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. You're amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Not only am I laughing, um, I, I just want to say I'm really inspired by Phoebe. She is doing it all. She talks about working hard and being such a workaholic. I respect that so much. Uh, As her parents said, just do the work and everything else will figure itself out. So here are my takeaways for Phoebe. Create something that's meaningful to other people. By putting herself on stage, Phoebe realized the power in what she was doing because there were not many people that looked like her on stage. She also realized that it resonated with people and how special it was to have someone who looks like themselves representing in that space. Two, strength and diversity. So many people talk about diversity, but they don't know how to actually implement it in their day-to-day lives. So whether Phoebe's creating a TV show or her next venture, she makes sure she's working with everyone from all types of backgrounds. Phoebe believes that's the strength in everything that she does. And she also tries to have this mission statement. Heart meets hope, be really funny, have a message, and uplift others. I'll say it again. Heart meets hope, be really funny, have a message, and uplift others. Others. Last but not least, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's my my life's mantra. Finding your voice, whether it's on a podcast, a blog, a keynote presentation, a YouTube show, finding your voice always is hard. But once you do, it gives you an entirely different level of confidence and vulnerability. And that is all strength. Phoebe is going out of her comfort zone whenever she does something new. And that's how she was able to find her voice and succeed. That's it for this week's episode of The Brown Print. Let's keep the conversation going online. You know I love to go online. Follow us on Instagram at The Brown Print Podcast and on Twitter at Brown Print Pod. Follow me, Carrie Champion, on IG and Twitter. You can find me at Carrie Champion. Don't at me if you got attitude. Well, okay. We'd love to hear your feedback. Or if there's a specific topic you want us to tackle or guests that you want us to have on, please reach out to the brownprintpod at gmail.com. Again, at brownprintpod at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. It helps spread the word. It is so important that we stay active and vocal. We'd greatly appreciate it if you showed us some love by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. If you do not, I know you are a hater. Haha, <laughs> kidding, kind of. Not really. Meanwhile, uh, again, five-star rating and positive review. We need it. It really helps the podcast grow. The Brown Print is a Gallery Media Group original production.